Welcome to Pastor Bill's Classroom. We are in our study of the Corinthian Letters, Lesson 56, entitled, Tongues. Hello, welcome back. We're in 1 Corinthians, uh, working our way through that book here in midweek study, uh, Bill's, Pastor Bill's Classroom, as we're calling it. And uh, again, our point is just simply to get into the Word, because we believe the Word transforms lives. In fact, we know that it does. I'm an example of that. You hopefully are an example of that. Uh, but God's Word is God's Word, and we're going to just let it speak to us, uh, transform us, uh, not so that we can just live off the benefits and the dividends of that, because ultimately it's the world that needs the benefits and dividends. We're left here for a reason. We don't need to be saved. We need to be changed and transformed because of that salvation through God's Word so that we can make a difference and get a gospel of saving message to, uh, to the world. So let's pray together, and then I hope you're on your way to chapter 14, if you aren't there already. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14 is where we are. We were first through 13. We finished that up. Moving on. So chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. So let's pray. God, we uh, humble our hearts before you. We bow our hearts. God, we just ask that you be glorified in us in our study today, Lord, not that we can get, go away with better knowledge so much as we can go away with better lives. Uh, to make a difference in the world that we live in, starting with our own personal lives, our own immediate family, immediate friends, and then beyond that, into our world, into our own churches and everything. Thank you, God. We commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, so we're, uh, we're running across some, some major uh, mountain peaks and the mountain range of biblical truth and biblical doctrine, and we just came off of one of, if not the, in fact, probably undoubtedly is, the highest peak of doctrine and biblical truth in the Scriptures, which is love. Everything, everything hangs on love. I'm going to ask the broad, searching question, why is there a Bible, and why did Jesus hang on the cross, and why does God communicate with us, and why does God care, and why is there going to be a heaven? And why all this? And the answer is simply this. God loves us. God loves us. And he's calling us into relationship with love with himself, and then from that into relationship with love to others. Heaven's going to be about love. Eternity's going to be about love. It's going to be about that. So, so it is the major doctrinal peak. Everything hangs on. Everything is a lower peak, we could say, uh, uh, past that. Another major peak that we're headed towards in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians is the, is the peak of the resurrection. First of all, Jesus' resurrection, and then, uh, then as a consequence, our resurrection. And so we're going to be seeing that. It's also a major, major peak, and we have to make sure we hit that one. But in between these two peaks, in between uh, chapter 13, which is uh, all about love, and uh, chapter 15, which is all about the resurrection, in between is chapter 14. Sandwiched in between these two major peaks is a far more minor peak in comparison. Uh, speaking in tongues, or the doctrine or the, the issues around speaking in tongues. And I realize that for some, tongues is a major peak, which all the more goes to demonstrate uh, how much whoever that is that believes that it needs to get into their Bible. Uh, far more important is the issue of love. Far more important are these other doctrinal issues. Tongues is a minor issue. It is a major uh, uh, issue of discussion which again just demonstrates how far off we are from what the Scriptures emphasize. Uh, in fact, majoring on the minors and minoring on the majors is one of the major, if you will, problems of the Corinthian church. What was wrong with the Corinthian church? That. 
that. Was it was it wrong for them to emphasize, was it wrong for them to talk about tongues and look into the gifts? No. But to the exclusion of love, yes. How to treat others, yes. How to operate in the Lord's Supper, yes. Uh, forgetting how important the resurrection was, yes. I mean, these are minor. These, these, these things, these tongues, these gifts are minor issues compared, compared to those things. But nonetheless, like I said, the fact is that tongues was a matter of major discussion. So, so we're going to discuss it, if you will. Uh, chapter 14 is in the Bible, so we're going to deal with it. So first of all, we need to define tongues. We did that back in chapter 12. We looked at tongues, but let's just do it again. Very simply, tongues is the Spirit's enabling of someone to speak in a tongue that they never learned. They didn't go to school for it. Nothing happened. We have the examples in the, in the New Testament where they just one minute were not speaking in this foreign tongue, and the next minute they were because of the Spirit's enabling, because He can do that. He can do anything. He's the Spirit of God. Uh, these are uh, very easily demonstrated human languages, but they could also be uh, angelic languages. The reason why I point that out is because, well, I mean, it goes without saying, angels speak in tongues, don't they? I mean, they have tongues. Though I speak with the tongue, here's Paul, back to 1 Corinthians, the love chapter, right? Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love. So angels have tongues? Of course they do. So we have them in the Old Testament speaking both Hebrew and Aramaic, and the New Testament speaking Greek, and I would suggest to you that they probably can speak all the languages. So, so, and then possibly, because of what this says, possibly they have their own tongues that are also separate from all human tongues. So I'm just throwing that as a possibility. I can't prove it in the Scriptures, but because it says that they're in verse 1 of 13, I want to lay that out for you. Uh, the tongues at Pentecost were very clearly human. Uh, remember what that said, Acts 2, there was uh, all amazed, they were all amazed and marveled, this is Pentecost, saying to one another, look, are not all these who speak Galileans? So these Galileans were, were the stereotypical rednecks. They were, un, for the most part, uneducated. They were uh, not worldly people. They didn't travel lots of places. They didn't know other languages necessarily. The Galileans would have been, would have been known to know only Hebrew or Aramaic and Greek. And other than that, none of it. So, so, they, so they ask a legitimate question here. And how is it that we hear each in our own language, which we were born? So, so all these different Jews had traveled to Jerusalem for Pentecost because that was part of the requirements of being a Jew. You had to be in Jerusalem for three different times, the Passover, Pentecost, and uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, or Yom Kippur and Feast of Tabernacles. So you had to be there as a male Jew uh, to honor the law of God. In fact, if you were not there, you, it was the death penalty. So it was a very serious thing. So, so they were there from all these different countries, all over Europe, all over northern Africa, all over the Middle East, uh, up into Russia, born and raised in those countries, just like here we are born and raised in the United States. You may be of another ethnicity than whatever white is, and white is just a color. It's got nothing to do with ethnicity. Ethnicity just has to do with your culture. You may be of Jewish culture. You may be of Arab culture, maybe, but we all are raised speaking English because of this country, the country we live in. If we were just seven miles south from here, if we were raised in Mexico, we probably would have been raised speaking Spanish, or it would have been our primary language, because it's the culture, it's the situation. Uh, likewise, these Jews gathered from all over the world in Jerusalem were, speak, or were raised in a culture that spoke different tongues, and they were hearing them all speak human languages, the men that had never learned these languages, or traveled to these other countries. They were Galileans. How is it possible? Right? So, so the tongues of Pentecost were very clearly human, communicating to these people uh, the, the beautiful message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
But later on in Acts chapter 10, and then again in Acts chapter 19, the tongues that were spoken is fairly unclear. Now, it's probably a good guess to say they were human tongues, but the point of the, the tongue speaking was different than it was here in Acts 2. In Acts 2, it was to reach lost people. And in the case of uh, Acts chapter 10 and, ver- and chapter 19, it is newly saved people speaking to older saved people. In this, in this particular instance, it's in, in, both, in fact, in both cases, it's Gentiles who are newly saved being able to speak in tongues and the Jews being able to hear it. Not necessarily hear any kind of message. The Jews that are hearing it are Christians. They don't need a message necessarily. They just need to, they needed something that the Gentiles did, something to mark them as belonging to God. So the same Spirit, and that's, that's, well, let's just read it. Here, Acts chapter 10, verses 40. Here's one example I'll put up there for you. Those of the circumcision, that's Jewish, right? Christians, but Jewish who believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. How do they know that? You get a mark on their forehead. They didn't change, I don't know, height or something. No, it says, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. In other words, tongues they had did not learn and almost probably the Jews didn't understand. Where did they come up with these tongues? It was the Holy Spirit marking them. The same situation more or less takes place uh, with Paul in Acts chapter 19, Paul being a Jew and Gentiles coming to Christ, and it was just a mark or a sign. Uh, but in 1 Corinthians 14, which is where we are, I'm just giving this as background, 1 Corinthians 14, tongues appears to be falling into yet a third category. So the first category was lost people who needed to hear the message of the gospel in their own tongue. God demonstrating, this is me. This is the Spirit of God. And then later on in Acts chapter 10 and chapter 19, uh, Newly saved people speaking in tongues to let people who had already been saved, in particular Jews, know, hey, these are also Christians just like you. So it was a mark. It was a, uh, it was a testament of the Spirit of God. And then the 1 Corinthians uh, verse four, uh, chapter 14, which is where we are, tongues appears to be fallen into, like I said, a third category where they're restricted, that is the tongues, to private use unless there was some kind of interpreter. So in the, in the uh, two occasions we have in the book of Acts is they were not private. They were very much, very, very much public. They were making, effectively God saying, making a public announcement. In the first case, hey, you Jews, the Spirit of God has now fallen upon the church. The church has been created, and uh, you need to know it. In the second case, hey, you Jews who are already saved, the Gentiles are now able to be saved. And now we have a third category, now in which, as we're going to see, uh, 1 Corinthians 14, the tongues is uh, being restricted to private use unless it's, unless it's being interpreted. Believers tend to fall into one of three categories when it comes to this whole issue of tongue speaking. Number one category, the one maybe we're most familiar with, is they believe in tongues and believe that everyone should speak in tongues. I was, when I was in college, I was, uh, I was dating my wife, actually, and I was speaking at this uh, a halfway house for people with substance abuse issues every single Thursday. And we had a group that was coming in the same, same situation on a Tuesday. And this group, and the men were asking me on Thursday, what, is, what does this mean? They're teaching us that unless, unless we're able to speak in tongues, we can't be saved. Well, I began to show them the Scriptures. That isn't true. So, so we have this, this whole uh, group of people that believed unless you speak in tongues, either one, you're not saved, or two, you're not a disciple. You're not really a follower of Christ. And... Uh, uh, which tells me that those who believe that have not been reading their Bibles very carefully because we have many things well, like this. Uh, I can find the button here. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 30. Do all speak 
had the gift of healings. This is a, this is a construct in the Greek language. Of course, we're interpreted into, into English. But the construct in the, the, the Greek syntax uh, is, is effectively, answer, it's a question that answers itself. And here's the way it answers. Do all have the gift of healings? No! It, that's the emphasis. Do all speak in tongues? No! Do all uh, interpret? No! In other words, Paul's saying, listen, it's, every part has been assigned within the body of Christ, and not everybody's a foot, not everybody's a tongue, not everybody's an eyeball. Each person has their place, and the, person, the place that you have is not the place someone else has. Some have healings, some have tongues, some have interpretation, some have prophecy, etc., etc. So, so to say that everyone has to speak in tongues is unbiblical, heretical. Where are you going with that? I can tell you where you're headed, I can tell you where you're starting. You're not starting with the Bible if that's your position. And I would recommend, speaking of tongues, that until you know what you're talking about when it comes to the Bible, you should keep your mouth shut. Just a suggestion. It would help a lot, though, because you mess up a lot of people when you speak from the hip about stuff that you do not know and claim it to be from God. Make sure you know what the Bible says. So they believe in tongues and believe that everyone should have it. That's unbiblical. And the second group believe that, that, that tongues have ceased, and therefore no one should be speaking in tongues anymore. And again, I would say to those, I don't think they're biblical. I find no reason from the Scriptures. I find reason from people who don't like tongues or whatever, so that people shouldn't be speaking in tongues. But I find no reason from the text of Scripture, which is our rules, no reason from the text of Scripture to uh, hold a position of cessation, that the tongues have ceased. I, I find it hard to believe that the Holy Spirit would have wasted so much verbiage as in the whole chapter 14 and parts of chapter 12 and 13 speaking about the gift of tongues for those gifts to have just simply ceased, that we no longer have a use at all for chapter 14. Because it's all about tongues of 1 Corinthians, that the church from the first century, this is their position, uh, tongues and other gifts have ceased. So we no longer have a use for chapter 14 after the first century. The church does not. I find that very difficult to believe. The Holy Spirit inspired the text, and here we have it, and I believe it still applies today. Now, I do believe in the waxing and waning of gifts. I think it's just evidence in the history of the church. Sometimes they come and go. I mean, you had this huge tongue event that happens at the Pentecost, and, and then, man, you don't have another mention of tongues until quite a bit later. Uh, and then quite a bit later after that. And uh, anyway, we're going to get to the, more, the prominence of tongues in the Scriptures, but, but anyway, just I don't find a position for... for I can't find biblically a reason to say that tongues have ceased. I can't. And, and I will say those that are trying to make it say that are forcing that on the text. And again, don't do that. Let it say what it says. Let it say what it says. And then there's a third position, which you probably guess is the position I hold, which people believe that tongues exist up until this day, but they operate only on those who have been gifted that way and only and should be only uh, operated within the parameters that the Scripture sets, which, by the way, brings us back to chapter 14. So we're going to be considering that. Tongues, but let's consider before we get there, uh, again, backing up. Tongues, as far as the history of the church is concerned, there's just very scant evidence of tongues operating outside of the first century other than a few uh, uh, prominent uh, incidences, and they're, I should say prominent, but they're also isolated. In almost every case, 
when they show up historically within the church or around the church, uh, the function of the New Testament church since after the first century. They show up among marginal groups, it's just the truth, or heretical groups. It's not to say that tongues didn't happen after the first century. That's some, some people's position. Again, I can't find a biblical reason to say that. But it certainly is evident that they did not operate very often or were not mentioned with the, with the, isol, with the exceptions of isolated situations where these heretical or marginal groups uh, use them. For instance, a guy by the name of Montanus claimed to be the Holy Spirit. What does that tell you? Well, he's a nut. He's a heretic and probably speaking on behalf of demons, and he spoke in tongues also, by the way. How is that possible? Well, it's very simple. Demons speak in tongues. This man almost certainly was demon-possessed, calling himself the Holy Spirit for crying out loud. And demons, Satan speaks in tongues. All the tongues. I mean, that's his job. I mean, that's his bread and butter. Deceiving the world, right? How's he going to do it if I speak Spanish and he's speaking to me in English? It doesn't make any sense. So, of course, they speak in tongues. And a person who's surrendered to those kind of spirits, I would suggest, has the capabilities, if, if the demon so wills, that that person be able to speak in tongues. Obviously, we have in the New Testament demons speaking through different individuals, both to Jesus and to Paul. They were not speaking English. They were speaking Greek or maybe Aramaic or Hebrew, but one of the tongues that were going on, English hadn't existed, wasn't anywhere close to being in existence. So, so it shouldn't shock us that someone as heretical as Montanus would be able to speak in tongues. It also shouldn't shock us, like for instance, in 1855, tongues broke out among the Mormons, who are also a heretical group, who believe there's some other way to be saved other than through Jesus. They're heretics. And as long as they keep with this doctrine, they are headed to hell. I'm not saying every Mormon is headed to hell, not any more than every Baptist is headed to heaven. But you have to come through Christ. You have to come through the biblical Christ. It's not up for us to invent Jesus for ourselves. No, there is only one Jesus, and we have to come to him in repentance and in faith. So, so Mormons spoke in tongues. Again, it shouldn't shock you uh, that heretics can speak in tongues because demons are capable of speaking in tongues and capable of enabling those through whom they are speaking to speak in those similar tongues. Tongues have also been reported among historically among the Quakers, not often, the Quakers and the Shakers, those are both groups that sounds like some kind of uh, uh, rock group out of the 60s, but no, Quakers and Shakers are uh, more or less Christian groups. Uh, two groups not well known, I would say, though, for sound doctrine, to be sure. Uh, to be sure. So why was tongues among them? I'm not, not totally clear on that. Uh, but very little happened with regards to tongues throughout church history as far as what's been recorded. What does that mean? Well, we'll see. Until what's called the Azusa Street Revival that took place in Los Angeles, California in 1906. 1906, there was this huge revival. As a part of this revival, people began to speak in these unknown tongues. What is this? Well, they began to look in the Scriptures. Well, people in the Scriptures were able to speak in unknown tongues. Well, this hasn't showed up in the church. Any recorded uh, level uh, for a long, long time. So, so what happened was there was some, um, sprung out of this, some modern denominations that emphasized tongue speaking. You're going to recognize these denominations probably. And maybe some of you were raised in some of these denominations, had very good friends in, in some of these. Uh, the churches of God, uh, the assemblies of God, uh, Pentecostals, uh, and Pentecostalism, big deal over there in East Texas where I was from. Some of the finest people, I'll tell you, that ever came across were Pentecostal. I went to school with Several of them. There was a Pentecostal preacher there outside of our hometown. Great preacher. 
Guy was on the Bible. Uh, such a faithful, uh, such a good man. Uh, four square churches. Uh, again, uh, emph- the emphasis is speaking in tongues in many of these churches, sometimes the overemphasis. Uh, today, uh, you don't have to go to necessarily those denominations to find people who claim to be able to speak in tongues. They seem to be showing up in all denominations. So, so I guess the bottom line is, what, is, what have we learned from history? Well, uh, first understand that this evidence absolutely really proves nothing with regards to the truth, because the truth can be suppressed, either direction. Uh, either the truth can be suppressed or error can be believed and followed by vast numbers of people. So really, this doesn't tell us anything. Uh, that it doesn't show up or that it does show up at certain points in history, uh, we still are not to the bottom line of what the truth is because we're not until the truth, we not, don't get into the truth until we get to the Scriptures. So we have to be careful to form our opinions based upon the teachings of the Word of God. And one of the rules with regards to handling the Word of God is we need to major on the majors, like I said, and minor on the minors. Tongues is a minor issue. But it is an issue. It's in the Bible. We have a whole chapter that, that focuses on the problems that were coming out of the mishandling of uh, the gift of tongues here in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. So let's consider it. Tongue speaking is highlighted <coughs> only five times in the Bible. <coughs> Excuse me. On, on the occasion of Acts chapter 2, we saw that one. Acts chapter 10, we saw that one. Acts chapter 19, we didn't see that one. And then, of course, in chapters 12 through 14, it's mentioned as a gift and or as an issue because of the way people are handling it here in chapter 14. And then also mentioned in Mark chapter 16. That's the only place that shows up in the entire Scriptures. So it is a minor issue, but it is an issue. Jesus, here, let's just put some parameters and some... Uh, margins on, if you will, tongues. Uh, Jesus never spoke in tongues or recorded anywhere in the Scriptures. Jesus didn't. Of course, he didn't speak English either. So you can say, well, he was speaking in a tongue, but every tongue is a tongue. <laughs> you know, that's, that's not an argument. The apostles spoke in tongues only in one place, and that's Acts chapter 2, and no indication that they ever spoke in tongues ever again. At least it's not recorded. The only exception to that is Paul, and, uh, well, if you want to see... Uh, Look down at Acts chapter 14, verse 18. Paul says what? I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you all. So for those of you who have a problem with tongue speaking, you'd have a problem with the Apostle Paul, who wrote almost half of your New Testament. So so deal with it. He can speak in tongues. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing at all wrong with any gift that God gives. But back to the whole issue and the smallness of tongues, I guess you could say, as far as an issue in the Scriptures. Tongues is not mentioned at all in the Old Testament. I mean, and that is, anyone speaking in tongues. Not at all. Way over half your Bible, no tongue speaking in it whatsoever. So how can you say tongues is a prominent issue when that isn't true? Or it is true that Old Testament doesn't have it. Also, tongues is not mentioned by Jesus in any of the extensive, and I would say very extensive, teachings on the Holy Spirit. In the Gospels, Jesus doesn't mention tongues not even one time. How can you say it's a major issue when it wasn't for Jesus? And then finally, tongues are not mentioned in any of Paul's other teachings other than 1 Corinthians here, or any of the other epistles, or the book of Revelation. So it is a minor issue. It is. We need to keep it there. We also need to understand how it can become, if you will, a major issue if we don't handle it, a major problem, not a major issue, but a major problem, if we don't go by what the Scripture says. 
So let, let's, let's, let's take a look at tongues in our text here. With that as all, all, all the background, uh, let's, let's see what happens here. So tongues in the text, verse 1, chapter 14. Pursue love. You just got off the chapter of love, right? Yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. So, so wow, there's, there's some words here for us. There's some words here for the extremes among us. This carries a word, first of all, for the extreme charismatic. And here's the word. Love is the sign of discipleship, not tongues. Not tongues. Show me someone speaking in tongues, I'll show you somebody who could be demon-possessed. I don't know. They're speaking in a tongue I don't understand. The way we know they're not demon-possessed, the way we know that they're possessed by the Spirit of God is they produce love. God's caliber of love only comes through His Spirit. Tongues can come from several sources. Be careful. So a word to the extreme charismatic, also the word to the extreme non-charismatic, as it says here, it's okay to seek after spiritual gifts. They have not ceased. It's critical that we are biblical. Not that we take our preconceived ideas and try to make the Bible say what we've already decided is true. That is not correctly dividing the Scriptures. Verse 2. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Like I said, you find this change. So prior to this, tongues were used to speak. God was enabling men to speak to other men or, or women, whatever the case may be. But in this case, or at this point, a third category of tongues. These tongues are good for only speaking to, not to men, but to God, unless there's some kind of interpreter. For no one understands, but in his spirit, he speaks mystery. So not even the person who's saying it knows what he's saying. Like I said, there's this third category. Tongues that are unknown lend themselves also possibly, someone, some would suggest, and I can't argue against it necessarily, that these are not human tongues. So there's no one that under, understands it. No one does. So as opposed to the book of Acts, where people were understanding the tongues that were being spoken, albeit they were from other countries. So, so again, just take that into consideration. This type of tongue that we have here in chapter 14 seems to be used for four types of things according to the text. Number one, for prayer, verse 14. This, we're going to skip around chapter 14. Verse 14. This tongue is used for prayer. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, and my mind is unfruitful. So nothing wrong with that. You're saying that's what it's used for. So that's one of the uses. Also used for singing, verse uh, 15. What is the outcome then if I shall pray with the Spirit and I shall also pray with my mind also? I will sing with the Spirit and also sing with my mind. So I can sing in tongues, or a person with that gift can. Uh, it also used number three, this type of tongues is used for blessings, verse 16. Otherwise, if you bless in the Spirit only, that would be only in a tongue, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say amen at your giving of thanks as he does not know what you're saying? So you're speaking some unknown tongue and you're blessing. He has no way of agreeing with that because neither, neither you nor him know what you're saying. But you are blessing because God's given you this ability to sing. But again, so the, so the use of the tongues in this category is to pray, to sing, to bless. And then a final, uh, category, uh, final part of this category is thanksgiving. Verse 17, for you are giving thanks well enough, but the other man is not edified. So you're blessing, you're thanking, you're praying, you're singing, 
No one knows what you're saying. That's Paul's point. Again, is it wrong to bless and to thank and to sing and to pray? Of course not. Paul's talking about your operations in the congregation. This, this tongue, again, is something, in this case, the category is something private between you and God. And so, but you're exercising in a public, public situation, and Paul says, uh-uh. He's got a problem with that. Unless there's an interpreter, keep it to yourself. And, and, and uh, he, of course, clearly says that without interpretation or with interpretation, these all can be shared uh, with the entire church. But, but tongues is put in juxtaposition here, back to verse 3 juxtaposition with a thing called prophecy. Back to verse 3, take a look. But one who prophesies, this is in juxtaposition to tongues. So, so tongues is something you can't understand, and prophecy, as we're going to see, is, is in, your, in the tongue that you do understand. The one who prophesies speaks to men for edification, exhortation, and consolation, because they can understand it. The one who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. So one is for private use, the other one's for public use. Both are tongues, right? One is understood, and the other is not. If you're standing up and speaking in a tongue that, you can't, that can't be understood, why are you standing up and speaking? That's his point. So it's in juxtaposition to, 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 tell, to, to prophecy, which is just simply explaining the truth of God and applying the truth of God. So, so prophecy is superior, is the superior gift to tongues because, number one, tongues are addressed to God who doesn't need edifying. But people do. Number two, tongues or prophecy is superior to, to tongues because tongues are not understandable unless interpreted, whereas prophecy is understandable by all. Prophecy is, is preferable to tongues, for number three, because tongues edifies only self most of the time unless it's interpreted. But prophecy edifies the church. So Paul's saying he's just selling us on to, if you want to choose a gift, you want prophecy. And certainly in the meeting of the church, it should be prophecy. It should be explaining the Scriptures and applying the Scriptures. It should not be, it should, at least should not be dominated by, as you, you, you have probably seen some of this, by some filibuster in the tongues. It's ridiculous. That is unbiblical. Verse 5. Now, I wish that you all spoke in tongues. <laughs> Talk about an unbaptist statement right there, huh? Wow. So Paul wishes that they could speak in tongues. Nothing wrong with tongues. Nothing wrong. But it has to be handled correctly. Nothing wrong with it. But even more that you would prophesy... And greater is the one who prophesies, because why? Because it benefits other people. Greater is the one who prophesies than one who speaks in tongues unless he interprets so that the church may, uh, may receive edifying. So, so tongues are not bad, but there is something better and far more desirable, and that would be explaining the Scriptures. The, the most important thing is, is, in a, is not a tongues meeting, but a Bible study. Let's keep reading verse 6. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues, what shall it profit you unless I speak to you either by way of revelation, of knowledge, or a prophecy, of teaching? I bring the Scriptures to you. How, how will it benefit you if I just sit up here and babble with a language you don't understand? 
Yet even lifeless things, either flute or harp, are producing sound if they, if they do not produce a distinction in the tones. How will it be known what is played on the flute or the harp? You say, I'm, I'm playing uh, just as I am, but you absolutely change no tones. Well, nobody's going to get it. Or are you playing that in your head? It's not coming out of your mouth or the instrument you're playing. But if the bugle produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? That's a good point. So also you, unless you utter by, mount, by the tongue speech that is clear, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are perhaps great many kinds of languages of the world, and no, and no kind is without meaning. It's not to say that what a tongue has no meaning. No, it has meaning. But if then I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be to the one who speaks a barbarian, and the one who speaks to me will be a barbarian to me. So also you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound with the education of the church, something that benefits the church. Why are you going after stuff that doesn't benefit the church unless you're just trying to show off, which is exactly what they're trying to do? Let me show you how spiritual I am, blah, 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 in tongues. <sighs> Demonstrating how childish they are, and that's the problem with this church. It's the problem. Problem with any church. Childish people. You know, cause problem with church? People who have not grown up. That's the truth. They might not be tongues, it could be anything. They're arrogant, they're prideful, they're uh, self absorbed, they're, those people cause problems in the church. All of us are capable of it given the right recipe. Be very capable, careful. The tongues in this case were just the place where that kind of attitude was bu bubbling up. So, Verse 13, the only way the, church, the tongues can edify the church is therefore let one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. It's the only way. For if I pray in a tongue and my spirit prays, and my mind is unfruitful. So he doesn't even know what he's saying. Corinthian church was full of immature carnal believers, so they were more accustomed to edifying themselves instead of others. And again, that's what causes problems in the church. I'm just saying it for me. It's what causes problems everywhere. It causes problems in the family, problems in the marriage, problems in the community. Problems in the church. People here doing what they want to do because they want to please themselves. Uh, we hopefully can dispense with that when we come to church, for sure. Verse 18, I pray that we can. Verse 18, I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. Like I said, he's not a Baptist preacher, apparently. Doesn't sound like it. He wouldn't be accepted in our churches. Just shame. However, in the church... I desire to speak five words with my mind that I may instruct others rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. Again, he's not saying there's nothing good about tongues. It's awesome, it's great, but it's really for yourself. And it probably needs to be kept there, unless there's an interpreter. Again, this is the third category of tongues. Not the same as the tongues in the book of Acts. You have these all people who, who focus on the tongue speaking of the book of Acts. And this category, it seems like those tongues only function in the early, early part of the first century. And the use of that kind of tongue, delivering some kind of message to either the saved or the lost, depending on what the case may be, has really ceased here two, two decades later as Paul writes to the Corinthian church. Again, all we have is the Scriptures to go by. In the church, he says... In the assembly, that is, on Sunday, he says, I would rather you speak plain English or Greek, whatever the case may be. Why? Because whatever language there is, just so that people can understand. Again, the point is never to just exercise a gift. The point is, is exercise a gift to build others up. That's the point. You've got a gift, great. Got a gift, maybe you ought to keep it to yourself. 
until you can stop being selfish with it. Because what good is a selfish gift? Verse 20. Brethren, do not be children in your thinking. <laughs> wow, that's the problem. That's the problem in churches, people acting like kids, adults. Causes problems, tongues or whatever. Brethren, do not be children in your thinking, yet in evil be babes, but in your thinking be mature. You think about what kids do. Children give little thought for anyone but themselves. And in fact, the thinking of others is the sign of someone growing up. Paul's saying, you need to grow up over there. If you're being childish, it's causing the problems, and you wouldn't be doing this with tongues. This incredible gift, I mean, amazing that God can enable someone to do that, that you've now sullied it so badly because you're acting like children with regards to it. I read, speaking of children, about a family who was visiting a mission uh, situation where people spoke in both Spanish and English, and they were going in the mission, this mission field, and they were in there with their whole family, and they had one young child who was in kindergarten or early kindergarten. And uh, the pastor at this uh, assembly, uh, this meeting of the church, uh, said at the beginning, in both in Spanish and English, he said, there are Bibles up here if you would like to have a Bible. There's a Bible in Spanish and Bibles in English. And the little boy who was in kindergarten got up to get a Spanish Bible. His mother said, why are you getting a Spanish Bible? You don't read Spanish. He said, I don't read English either. <laughs> That's, tongues are incredibly important. And that, that it comes to us in the tongue that we understand is so important. The gift of tongues is a minor issue in the Scriptures. But the use of our tongues is a major issue. God has given us tongues and the ability to speak. In respect to that, we need a major tongues movement. What I mean by that? Moved with the gospel. Moved with forgiveness. Our tongues. Moved with love. Moved with encouragement. Moved with biblical correctness. Yeah, that's the tongues movement that we should be about. Tongues. Let it be what it is. Pray with me, please. God, I thank you that you can do anything. Tongues, prophecy, healings. We believe you do whatever you want to do. But Lord, we have to listen to what you say. God, I pray that you would reign us in or release us, whatever the case may be, with regards to these gifts, with regards to tongues that we would hear you, God, that we would major on the major things that you put out there and minor on the minor things and not get our focus off. But more importantly, God, that you'd help us to grow up. You'd help us to be mature and not be children and not act like children. Because that's the most devastating thing for our churches and our world. Thank you, God, for speaking to us today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptistchurch.org.